Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. And we're going to look at this entire chapter, and it's about the people God uses. What kind of people does God use? Well, I want to give you four different uh, aspects of that. And I just want to talk to you about that. Don and I went to a funeral in Dallas, Texas the last few days, and it was Dr. Russell Dilday. He had been the president of the Southwestern Seminary where I attended. We got married in May of 1980, Don and I did, and uh, I was ordained in this, you know, that was June, rather. I better say that right. Well, we got married in June of 1980. I could feel a look coming this way, all right. But, <laughs> but uh, I was, we were married in June. I was ordained in July, and we went to seminary in August. So it was boom, boom, boom. And as soon as we went, uh, we got to meet Dr. Dilday. And he was a precious man, loved the Lord, and uh, very very used of God in our lives. And I just thought about that during his whole funeral service, how greatly God had used him. I want to be used by the Lord, don't you? I mean, I want God to use me. I want to be a tool that he can use. So what kind of person do I need to be? What, who, who, who do we need to be if we want God to use us? Let me give you at least four aspects of, uh, I'm gonna make up a word, usability, all right? First of all, God uses righteous people. Now, I'm not talking about self-righteous. I'm talking about people that he has made righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. You might say, I'm not righteous. Well, if you're a Christian, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. So let's just talk about this for a moment. Number one, God wants to use righteous people. Verse one, Isaiah 56, thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do what? Say it out loud righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed the Lord God is a God of justice and righteousness justice and righteousness are not something that have just been thought of in the last few decades the Lord said he was about to come in salvation and to reveal himself in righteousness to all the people of Israel who, as you know, at this time were still captives in Babylon. So in verse one, he commands them to preserve justice and to do righteousness. What he's saying is it's time to straighten up and live right. And look at me, Bellevue, it is time to straighten up and to live right. Justice and righteousness, often emphasized by the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah had sir, said earlier in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good. You have to learn that. You know why? Because in ourselves, we're not very good. We have to learn to do good. Seek justice. It's not going to come to you automatically. Seek it. Reprove the ruthless. 
defend the orphan, plead for the widow. God is for people who are hurting. Do good, perform godlike action, seek justice, pursue the right way to live, reprove, that is, rebuke anyone who is cruel, anyone who is ruthless. Defend the orphan, protect the innocents, protect their rights, plead for the widow. If you have to go to court with a judge, plead for the widow. Godly justice, godly righteousness. It assured the poor that the wealthy would not use their power to come against them. Then in verse one, it says, God's salvation was about to come and his righteousness was about to be revealed. God was about to restore his righteous remnant. He was bringing them salvation and righteousness. Now look at verse two, how blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it. This becomes part of your life who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. When God's people obeyed him, God said, if you'll just do what I tell you to do, I will bless you. God was looking for righteous people to serve in his kingdom. This last week I finished reading the book of Job. The most righteous man, one of the most righteous men ever to live aside from Jesus Christ. It had to be him, Moses, and Jesus. They're at the top. And this man was a great godly man. So much so that God bragged about Job to the devil, to the devil. Hey, have you seen my boy? Have you seen my son? Have you noticed? Where have you been, devil? I've been out walking on the earth. Well, while you're walking on the earth, have you noticed my son, Job? Nobody like him, righteous in everything he does. You know what happened. The Lord allowed the devil to come after Job, and he went through more difficulties than you'll ever come close to. I know that many of you have gone through great sorrow, but not close to what Job went through. And when it was all said and done, Job blessed the Lord. He said in Job 42, let me go to just say verse one. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I, I like that. There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. At the end of his life, Job said in Job 42, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Lord, I, before I went through all this trouble, I'd heard about you, but now. Everybody say that with me. But now. Now that I've gone through all this trouble, but now my eye sees you. I see you for who you really are. I see you as a good God. Therefore, I retract, I repent in dust and ashes. And God rewarded Job's righteousness. The Bible says in Job 42 verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And those friends, <laughs> you go read the book of Job, they were really if that were his friend, boy, he didn't have a lot of friends, I'm going to tell you. And the Lord increased all that he had twofold. 
God used righteous Job to give glory to God and to overwhelm Satan's attack. God uses righteous people, and God will use you. You say, what do I need to do, preacher? You need to do what the Bible says, preserve justice and do righteousness. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Don't be a big shot. Don't act like you've got it all together. You don't. You say, well, I'm pretty good. Not really. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, you don't have anything. And I don't either. We are weak, but he is strong. We're to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. And Jesus said, don't just do justice. Seek righteousness. He said in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Do justice. Seek righteousness. Defend. Defend the poor. Take up their cause, the needy, the destitute. Stand against all forms of civil and social and spiritual oppression. Seek his righteousness. The Bible says, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Jesus Christ is righteousness. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What kind of people does God use? Well, first, right out of the gate, he uses people who preserve justice, who do righteousness. God uses righteous, godly, Christ-like people. And you can be that only in Christ. You can do it. You can do it. Secondly, God uses outcast people, people that the world says, ah, you don't, you don't stand a chance. I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't throw us away when the world does? Amen. Amen. Look at verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Here's a big thing that was going on. God said, and we're about to see it, my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. Now, the Jews thought they were just pulled apart and separated just so they could go to heaven. But God said, no, you're not separated just so you can feel special and go to heaven. You are separated. Watch this. Look at me. You're separated. You're set apart to tell the Gentiles my message. And they never got it. And many of them still don't get it. We are God's chosen people. And so we'll just stay here and be chosen the rest of our life. No, that's not why you're chosen. You're chosen to serve other people. Get that, Christians. Get that deep in your soul. Let not the foreigner, let not the Gentile who has joined himself to the Lord, Gentiles who would seek the Lord, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, 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 no. 
And then he goes to another group of people, mid, midway verse 3, nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm just a dry tree. I can't have children. Many times people would make their slaves, male slaves, eunuchs. There were many eunuchs even in Jesus' day. And you might remember in the Old Testament, God said they can't come into the temple. But now through Isaiah saying a time is coming, he's talking about the Messiah, when Jesus comes, not only will the Gentiles come into the house of the Lord, but even the eunuchs will come into the house of the Lord. That's why the New Testament is a better testament than the Old Testament. It didn't, it's not just better, it replaced the Old Testament. Praise the living God for that. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. They were going to be welcomed by Jesus the Messiah. We know that because we've got the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 8, Deacon Philip led an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. Jesus said, you're all welcome in my house. And any church that doesn't welcome anyone and everyone who wants to know the Lord is not a church. Just some kind of religious country club. And I don't want to be part of a religious country club. I want to be part of a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that welcomes anyone and everyone. Every church ought to look like its community. Amen. And have some redeemed of every part of it. If you're primarily an African-American church, you ought to have at least some white people in your church. If you're a predominantly white church, you ought to have at least some people of color in your church. Works both ways. Verse 5, to them, to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them eunuchs an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, that is the Gentiles, and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who comes from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. If you'll just repent, God said, a great day is coming. You're going to join yourself to me, the Lord. You're going to minister to me. You're going to love my name. You're going to be my servants. You're going to hold fast to my covenant. You think about all of the people that were outcast that God used. Think about Jesus. Think about how many outcasts he pulled in. Just go read the book of Luke. I just started, I could only get to chapter 8 until I had at least 13 outcasts that Jesus called into himself, that all the Jews were pushing away, all the religious people were pushing away. You, you better be very careful when you start pushing people away. You better be careful you're not being like Jesus. Did you know that in many ways the world looked at Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, as an outcast because they didn't believe she was a virgin. They believed she had been sexually immoral. 
but God used her. Would you say that maybe God used the Virgin Mary a little bit, just a tad? What about the Bethlehem shepherds? Nobody likes shepherds, but they were the first to behold the Christ child. Don't you love the way God does things? What about Simeon? Remember him, Holy Spirit-filled man of God? God said, before you die, you're going to see the Messiah. And he just was hanging around all the time in the temple just waiting. And the moment Jesus, as a child, was coming through, he made a beeline to Jesus. How did he know that? The Holy Ghost told him. The Spirit of God was upon Jesus. The Spirit of God was on Simeon. And the Spirit of God got them together. And he held him. And he prophesied over Jesus. But he was an outcast. Anna or Hannah, either way you want to spell it. 83-year-old prophetess. Never left the temple. Was always praying and fasting. She saw the Messiah the same time that Simeon did, and she rejoiced. John the Baptist, now there's an outcast for you. Last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the New Testament forerunner of Christ. He was an outcast. He lived in the wilderness. He ate bugs and honey. That'll bless your heart. Very simple clothing, no possessions. And Jesus said he's the greatest man ever to live. Greatest man ever to live. But he was an outcast. The demonized man at the Capernaum. And by the way, these are all in Luke. I hadn't been given the, all the others were chapter 2, John the Baptist chapter 3, chapter 4 of Luke. Demonized man at the Capernaum synagogue. Jesus cast the demon, demons out and he was fine. But he was an outcast. The leper in Luke 5, the paralytic in Luke 5, the tax collector in Luke 5, the Roman centurion servant in Luke 7, the Roman centurion in Luke 7, the dead son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7, the immoral woman who washed Jesus' feet and he led her with her tears in Luke 7. The demoniac with the legion of demons, Luke chapter 8. If these people walked into some churches, a lot of Christians would run out. But Jesus didn't run out. Jesus took in the outcast. And I want to tell you something. If you ever get to the point where you look down on people, they're higher than you, whether you know it or not. You're lower than them when you look down on them. You're not higher than them. God loves outcasts. He still does. And he invites all people to Jesus. Does he not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No matter what you've done, God will forgive you. If you're a homosexual, a lesbian, a fornicator, an adulterer, God will forgive you. If you're a drunkard, if you're on drugs, God will forgive you. Noah was a drunk. At least he got drunk. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses had a mean, bad temper. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon was a perverted polygamist. 
Matthew was a greedy tax collector. Mary Magdalene was demonized. Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And Paul murdered Christians. And yet God redeemed every one of them. Every one of them. All people are invited to me. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in the last chapter of the Bible, to me, you've got one of, if not the greatest invitation to God in the whole Bible. Revelation 22, verse 11, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who wishes, New King James Version, whoever desires, whosoever will, take the water of life without cause. No one is righteous in and of ourselves. We're spiritual outcasts apart from Jesus. And aren't you grateful to God that God uses outcast people? Thirdly, God uses praying people. Look at verse 7, even those, this is one of the quintessential prayer verses in the whole Bible, even those I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. He's talking about the eunuchs. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about anybody that will come to him. For my house, say it with me, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Don't leave that last prepositional phrase off. Don't leave the for all the peoples off. And when the word peoples there, it means everybody. It's plural. One of the Greatest verses on prayer in the whole Bible. Even those I'll bring to my holy mountain. Those, foreigners, eunuchs, everyone Isaiah mentioned, bring to his holy mountain. All the outcasts, everyone. I'm going to make them joyful. Now don't get mad at me. But if you're not, if you're never full of joy, it shows me that you're not praying. You can't pray and spend time with God and never have joy. Now look, joy, happiness, not the same thing. Happiness is all circumstantial. I got a raise, I'm happy. Uh, you know, I've got a, a new grandbaby, I'm happy. Joy is totally different. Joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is just that blessing, that fruit of the Spirit that God gives you when you're walking with God and He fills you with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't come from the outside. Happiness comes from the outside in. Joy comes from the inside out. It's a river of joy. That's what He's talking about. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their worship, their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. I'm going to use their prayers to perform miracles. My house shall be called 
a house of prayer for everyone, all the people. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares yet others. I'm going to gather them in to those already gathered. God uses praying people. Do you remember when Jesus quoted this verse out of Isaiah 56? He did it twice. The, the book of John was written to supplement the other three gospels. John puts the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The other three gospels put it at the end. You say, which one was it? You don't have to choose. There were two cleansings, two cleansings. John said he didn't just cleanse it at the end of his ministry before he was crucified. He cleansed it at the beginning. Luke or John chapter 2, Jesus comes in to worship at the temple And do you know what the Jews had done? The Jews had taken all of the lambs. They said, look, if you really want a really good sacrificial lamb, you buy it here at the temple. Those other lambs out there, they're okay. But if you really want to make sure God will forgive you, get the one here. And they upped the price. And they'd made a racket out of it. Do you know where they set up shop? In the house of the Gentiles the area where the Gentiles were supposed to come and pray. And Jesus came in there and he saw that and he remembered Isaiah 56 and he goes in there. He didn't just turn over tables, man. I'm telling you, some people say, Jesus never hit anybody. It's just because they got out of his way, all right? I'm telling you, the Lord went in there and he cleaned house and he literally turned over the tables, threw the money apart and said, it is written. Well, let me just read it to you. There's no sense in me trying to quote it. Look at Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He wasn't mad because they were trying to help people. He was mad because of where they had put it and the Gentiles couldn't pray because of it. And then he said, it is written. It is written. Same thing he said to the devil. He saw the devil in this. It is written. My house. Jesus didn't say God's house. He said, my house, because Jesus is God. My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you, he quotes out of Leviticus now, you've made it a den of thieves. You've made it a den of thieves. And look at verse 14, what happened. You ready for that? After Jesus cleaned the place out, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Everybody say, in the temple. They couldn't get in before Jesus showed up. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, you want to come to my house? Come on in, whoever you are, spiritually lame, spiritually blind, lepers, spiritual eunuchs, people that have messed up. Oh, come into my house. And remember, my house is a house where we call on God the Father and we pray and we see God do mighty things. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, bless your heart. Yes, you do. 
Don't let the devil lie to you like that. Well, I don't, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how to pray a great prayer. What is a great prayer? A great prayer is just a prayer. The only bad prayer is the one you don't pray. It's not about how eloquent you are. Just start praising him for who he is. Oh, God, thank you that you created the universe. And we did not just somehow come from some big bang. Oh, God, thank you that you're omnipotent, you're all-powerful. Thank you that you're omnipresent, you're everywhere. And no matter where I go, you're with me. Lord, thank you that you're omniscient, you know everything. I don't know a lot of things, Lord, and a lot of people think they know everything, but you're the only one that does know everything. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. Spend time thanking him for what he's done. Well, what's he done? How about the food that you have at your house? You say, well, I work for that. Who gave you the presence of mind, who gave you the health, and who gave you the opportunity to have a job? It was Jesus, all right? Praise him for the food you eat, the water you drink, the clothes you wear, the roof over your head, the job that you might have, and the family that loves you, the church that you have, the nation you're in, the strength that you have, the health that you have. You got so many blessings, you could praise God and thank him for a long time before you ever asked him for one thing. Pray for other people. Pray for them. Cry out. Call people by name. I go to bed so I can get up, so I can pray before I go to work. And I've got a bunch of names I call out to the Lord. Just because God wants us to call people. People in leadership, people that are struggling, people that are lost, I pray for those people. I'm not trying to say I'm the greatest prayer warrior. I'm just trying to say, look, I want to do what God says. I want to get this right before I go to heaven. I don't want to get to heaven and find out I was messed up on earth. I want to do it right here before I get there. Pray for other people. Pray for leaders. Pray for people that are struggling. Pray for lost people. Pray for Bellevue Baptist Church. Pray for me. Pray for my preaching. You pray for me, I'll preach better. You don't like the way I preach? Pray. (laughs) Amen. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for ministries. Pray for people who live close to you. Pray for your neighbors. Get to know their names. Some of you don't even know your neighbors' names. Pray for people at work. Pray for your boss. I can't pray for him. Yes, you can. He's just a person like you, or she's just a person like you. Pray for your fellow workers. Pray for people at school, the teachers, the students. Pray for our nation. Pray for the President of the United States. Pray for the Vice President. Pray for the national leaders, the state leaders, the local leaders. What do you mean you don't have anything to pray about? What are you talking about? Just get a list. Don't just sit down and go, hmm, uh, I'll pray about this maybe. And just, no, 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 get a list. It's okay. I'll guarantee you when we get to heaven, I believe this with all my heart, go look at all the names in Romans 16, and I believe with all my heart that was Paul's prayer list, at least part of it, for the people who were at the church of Rome. That's where he had all those names. He wrote it down. I don't know about you, but I remember things that I wrote down because I wrote them down. <laughs> Amen. I'm not trusting my memory. 
Stop complaining. Don't just stand there. Pray something. God uses praying people. Now very quickly. God uses righteous people. God uses outcast people. And all the outcasts said, amen. God uses praying people. God uses faithful people. Now I'm going to do something a little bit backwards here. The last part of the text is about unfaithful people, so I'm going to use them in contrast to show you these are the people that God doesn't use, but God does use faithful people, okay? If you didn't just get that, Don will explain it to you later on, all right? Look at verse 9. All you beasts of the field, he's talking about the people, the Israelites in his day that would not spend time with God, that wouldn't walk with God. All you beasts of the people, all you Beast of the forest, come to eat his watchman. Now he's talking about the preachers and the prophets and the priests. There were very few of them that were living for the Lord in that day. All of them know nothing. They're spiritually blind. They're spiritually ignorant. They're sinful. The Jewish priests were in that day. Then he said in verse 10, not only were they blind and ignorant, but they were also lazy and slothful. Look at the last part of verse 10. All of them are mute dogs. Now, you know, I'm going to say something. This guy walked on the edge, did he not? All of them were mute dogs, unable to bark. <laughs> Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. All you priests out there, you just love to take a nap. You just love to eat and drink and all that stuff and party but you're not preaching, you're not praying, you're not spending time with God. You just like to slumber and you're greedy. Verse 11, and the dogs are greedy, not satisfied. He's talking about the priest of that day. They're shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way. Each one is un to his unjust gain to the last one. All they really want is to get a paycheck. All they want to do is to be supported. That's all they want. Except they want to just eat enough and drink enough and be alone enough and even party enough. Verse 12, come they say, let us get wine. Let us drink heavily of strong drink and tomorrow will, will be like today, only more so. Portrait of ungodly prophets and it was a warning. It was a warning. This is why I'm going to take you down. I have to be very careful what I say here because I don't want to sound self-serving. But I got news for you. A lot of the so-called famous preachers across America, if you study their theology, they don't believe in hell. They, only, they say everybody's going to go to heaven. They're preaching a love thing. And I, I believe God loves everybody. I'm going to tell you this, I also believe we have to repent of our sins and turn to the Lord. You be careful. You be careful who you listen to. You test the spirits to make sure it's the Holy Spirit and not the spirit of this world. I'm not trying to be ugly, but I am trying to be honest. Yesterday, Don and I went to Dr. Dilday's funeral and we saw a good friend who's been faithful to the Lord a long time, David Dockery. David Dockery 
is now the president of Southwestern Seminary, a faithful man. I've known him since the 1980s. We had a, a boy, well, he wasn't a boy, he was a young man. He's about my age, and uh, I was 25 when I started pastoring. About that time, he felt the Lord calling him to preach, and so he wanted to go to Bible school. And so I took him down to Crystal College, and the moment we walked in the door, we went to the elevator, and I opened the elevator, and there's David Dockery. I never met him before in my life. New Testament professor, Greek professor, obviously smart. And I told, introduced Randy to him, talked to him, got to know him. Later on, I knew him because he was at Southern Seminary. Then I knew him because he was the president of Union University for 20 years, almost 18 years and then at Trinity University, and when Southwestern needed a new president, and he became president, the whole faculty stood up and applauded because of how much they respect him. He's not only an academic, I've messed up that word, I've said a different word for that before. He's not only academic, he loves the Lord. He's a faithful leader. Do you know what Paul said about leadership? He gave one premier characteristic for a leader. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 2, let a man so consider as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what a pastor is. That's what a leader is. He's a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found what? Say it out loud. Faithful. Not just intellectual, not wealthy, not just a great speaker, not just popular. Intellect, wealth, sermon delivery, popularity. They've got to have their places, but the main thing is, are you faithful? Do you, are you faithful to the Lord? Are you faithful to your Bible? Are you faithful to your family, to your spouse and your children? Are you faithful to God's church? Are you faithful in integrity? If you want to lead God's people, start with faithfulness. Faithfulness. God uses faithful people. My wife and I were talking about this sermon. She reminded me of someone you've probably never heard this name. Some of you may have. I doubt it. G.W. McCluskey. Does that ring a bell? Probably not. But what if I were to say to you the name James Dobson? How many of you that rings a bell? Anybody? Do you know why you know James Dobson? Because of G.W. McCluskey. That's how you know him. G.W. McCluskey was his great-grandfather. And he prayed. And once a day, he felt called of God to pray from noon until 1 o'clock for his future 
family. Now you say, an hour a day praying for your family? Yes, and many of them had not even been born. How do you pray for somebody that's not born? You pray in faith for the future generations. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And one day, God spoke to him. Now, some people say this is not real, couldn't happen. That's because those people hadn't prayed. People who haven't prayed don't believe God can speak, all right? But Mr. McCluskey was praying one day and he said, God stopped him and said, I'm going to bless the next four generations of your family. And almost every one of them, all of them were saved, but almost every one of them served in full-time Christian ministry. And guess who was in the fourth generation? James Dobson. Can I thank the Lord today? Can we thank the Lord today for a praying man? Amen. What kind of man, what kind of woman will God use? Righteous, and we're not righteous in ourselves, it's the righteousness of Christ. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, a righteous person. Outcasts, people that the world doesn't really look at as very important. You don't have to be important to the world to be important to God. He can use outcasts. He can use praying people. He can use faithful people. That's what God wants to do. And I don't know about you. The longer I live, I just say, Lord, the biggest deal to me is not having a bunch of stuff. The biggest deal to me, Lord, is would you just use me before I die? Oh, God, somehow use me. Could you just pray that prayer with me? Oh, God, use me. Just lift your hands right now. Let's just close our eyes and just say it out loud. Oh, God, use me in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Let's thank the Lord that he'll use anybody if they'll just let him do it. All right.